You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. This 
Hey everyone, and welcome to Kensington Church. We're so glad that you're here with us today, whether you're streaming online or whether you're at one of our six campuses in the state. If we haven't met, my name is Andrew Kim, and I am the teaching and small groups pastor at our Troy campus. And I've been at Kensington for almost four years. And I'm married to my wife, Robin, and we have three awesome kids, Eliana, who's nine, Isaiah, who's eight, and our little bulldozer, Mia, who is three. And my favorite summer pastime is actually taking road trips with my family, and we do it every single year. So whatever you have been up to this summer, we hope that you've had a fantastic time thus far. And we are in the second week of our series, Living the Dream. But before we get into that, I want to invite you to two exciting upcoming events. And the first is baptisms, and they're going to be happening this Wednesday at our Troy campus out on the East Lawn. And this is a special event because all of our Metro Detroit campuses will be coming together for the first time in a very long time. And even though we've been fully opened and meeting in person now for several months, there are still friends from other campuses, you know what, I haven't seen in over a year. And so this outdoor gathering is going to be amazing, and we'll, because we're going to be witnessing and celebrating baptisms, connecting with old friends, singing together, and did I mention there's going to be food? And Traverse City isn't going to be making the trip down, but they're going to be holding their baptisms at the beach, which is a great thing to do in northern Michigan. And so if you have any questions or you want to find out more about what it means to be baptized as a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to visit kensingtonchurch.org forward slash baptism. But we'd love for you to come out this coming Wednesday on the Troy Lawn to celebrate all together. But something else that I want to let you know about is happening in August, and it's called Rock Your Family. And this is an opportunity for families not only to connect with one another, but most importantly, to connect with God. And in the past, we've had it over an entire weekend, but this year, we're packing all the fun and excitement into one day. And it's going to be at Covenant Hills Camp in Otisville, Michigan, on Saturday, August 21st. I can't think of a better way to end summer than this laughing, having fun, and making some incredible memories. And my family is going to be there, and you'll probably see us zip lining on the rock climbing wall as well as on the blob. And so we'd love for you to join us. And so for more information and to register, visit kensingtonchurch.org forward slash RYF. And so let's get back now to week two of our series, Living the Dream. And I hope this series inspires you to dream big dreams and that God reveals to you what it means to live fully. Well, good morning. My name is Tyler Verrier. I'm the Clinton Township High School Director here. I just wanted to welcome all of you in the room, as well as everyone online. Thanks for being here. That opening song was Boulevard of Broken Dreams by Green Day. Any Green Day fans in the building? There you are, my people. I grew up on Green Day. love those guys. But we opened with that song because you guys showed up for week two of our series, Living the Dream. Now, when I think of dreams, and the dreams I have, a lot of them can be self-serving, but the idea behind this series is that each of us were uniquely created by God with unique hopes and dreams that are placed in us, and it is our duty and even our calling to live those hopes and dreams out. And uh, I'm excited to jump back into that with you guys today. Craig's going to take us on that journey a little bit further in just a minute. But before we do that, I just wanted to give you some announcements. First and foremost, as always, we have the hub in the middle of the lobby. The hub is a place you can go if you have any questions at all about anything you just saw in that video, anything I'm going to repeat or anything that happens in this service or how you can get plugged in, serve. That's the place to go ask those questions. There'll be people waiting there to answer all those questions for you. Secondly, like he said, we have baptisms coming up. That is on August 18th at the Troy Building on the lawn out there. It'll be an outdoor event. It's going to be an awesome time. Baptism is an outward expression of our inward faith. 
It's a time where we can come together around our brothers and sisters that are believing in Christ. And when you're ready to take that next step, baptism is this place where you publicly announce that I, I want to be held accountable by my faith community to follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And if you're ready to take that step, if you're ready to commit publicly to that journey, to count that cost at that level, we'd love to do that with you. Make sure you go on the website, sign up so we can uh, have a spot ready for you there. But I want to encourage you, if you have any questions about that, come talk to Craig after or some people at the Hub. They'd love to answer any questions about that. They mentioned Rock Your Family. Has anyone been to Rock Your Family before? Yes, it's a great time. So it's an awesome time to show up with your whole family to be fed spiritually. There's many different moments where we can come together individually, right? K-Kids is back there. We have our student ministry programs for middle school and high school happening tonight at the building. But this is a space for all of you guys to have your shared value fed together, to have your souls nourished together. It's going to be an awesome time, a lot of fun as always. So make sure you don't miss it. Sign up for that. The link is also on the screen. And lastly, how many of you have come to our summer midweeks? Anyone been to our summer midweeks yet? I, I want to encourage you, if you did not raise your hand, and even if you did raise your hand, I, I really want to encourage you, please come out to this midweek. Our midweeks have always been a place that truly feed me in just a different way than even maybe a Sunday morning will. Our midweek services are designed to go deeper into God's word deeper into different questions about scripture, about our faith, and to lock arms as a family in a different way. And we do that on Wednesday nights. We've got a fun little like bring your own picnic deal happening before. So you can bring some food, a lawn chair, go hang out. We'll have ice cream, cornhole, all that stuff happening before. A uh, great place to show up if you're new and get to know some people, chat, get plugged in in a, a fun way. But that's happening on August 18th, make sure you guys come out to that. I'd love for each of you guys just to stand up right now and say hi to the person next to you, and we'll keep things going.
Do you, Lord, I'm feeling bronze, but I know you made me golden. You the one I put my hope in. How can I fall when you hold me? No restraints, no complaints, power and strength in Jesus' name. Can't turn back, paid too much with the cross in his back. Gotta start turning my back on my dreams. Blood in my hand, I was left in the street. Born with an L, I was used to defeat. Please, please, help me, please. Easy to tap, but I got a plan to fulfill. Lay on my back, I look up to the hills. Try to find help where it come from. Sit still, don't run. Well, good morning, everyone. Are you excited to be here? Good, because I'm really super excited to be here, and mostly because I'm super excited about where we're going to go on our journey together in God's Word today, because it's a story that's been personally so important for me. Uh, we're in week two, as Tyler said, and as Andrew also said, in our series called Living the Dream. I have a friend who has LTD tattooed on his leg, Living the Dream, and for most people, when they talk about living the dream, it would be something like this. Uh, the rain stopped, you've got a boat, after church you're going to get on your boat, you're going to go out to Lake St. Clair, you're going to go out to Strawberry Island, you're going to drop your anchor, you're going to get the food out, you're going to be with friends, you're going to be swimming. You're living the dream, right? You say that to each other. We say we're living the dream. If you're not a water person, how many are not water people? You're going to go on your back deck. Wow, you're all water people except for her and her. That's pretty amazing. You're going to go on your deck, you're going to invite friends over, you're going to have some music, you're going to barbecue, you're going to sit there, enjoy outdoors and each other, and you're living the dream. And those dreams are great, and they're fine, and they are part of what makes life rich and fun. But we're going to a deeper place in this series where we talk about living the dream. Because we believe that God has wired each of us for a very specific person, and we want to live out that purpose and that dream in our life. This is week two, as I said, so if you weren't with us last week, just a real quick recap we're looking at a story in Judges, which is a book in the Old Testament, chapter 6, where Israel is actually wandered away from God and got themselves deep in the woods. They've been attacked by the surrounding nations. They're being oppressed. Um, they're living in fear. They're living in hiding. And so they're living a nightmare. And Shauna did a, just a super job last week of talking about when we get in those seasons in our life, we really can't talk about dreaming until we talk about connecting with God. So for them, the the 
the objective was you need to humbly come to God, acknowledge where you are, repent of that, receive his mercy and his love and his forgiveness, and then we, we can begin to think about living the dream. And so that's where we're going to go today. We're going to meet up in just a few minutes with Israel and see where they're at in Judge chapter 6. But as we get ready to do that, I'm going to ask you to think about a question the whole time I'm talking. Because if this message is going to have relevance for you, you need to think it in the context of your own life and who you are. The question I want you to ponder and think about is a question that every single human being asks herself or himself, and it starts very early on, probably before you're two years old. It's often not conscious. Even today, as, as adults, it's not conscious. But it's a question that we ask ourselves that has all kinds of repercussions. It really forms the kind of life that we have. It really dictates almost everything that we do. So even though it's subtle and often unconscious, it determines much about our life. And here's the key. The question, I'm going to share it with you in just a moment. Most of us answer the question incorrectly. And there's a ripple effect from that. So what is the question? The question has to do with identity. You might phrase it something like this. Alone in my thoughts, really, who am I? How do I see myself? What kind of person am I? And usually we don't wait too long before we begin to think about, I wonder how people see me and think about me. Am I smart? Am I competent? Am I beautiful? Attractive? Skilled? Am I loved? And then part of that questioning also brings information in like, on what basis am I valued? On what basis am I loved? How do I know if I'm competent, if I'm skilled? How do I know what my limitations are? How do I know what the possibilities are? How do you think about yourself? What is your identity? So I would just ask you please to keep that question in mind because as I said, most of us answer it incorrectly and we do so for almost all of our life. And we're going to encounter a story in Judges 6 today where a man got confronted with that question and saw that his view or understanding of himself was radically different than God's. Because here's the other important thing. We ask ourselves, in the context of faith, of our faith in God, we ask ourselves, or at least we contemplate, how does God see you? So I'd like you to think about these, those two questions. How do you see yourself? What kind of person are you? And how do you think God sees you? And as we're talking about dreaming, here's the thing that is worth just considering for a moment. Do you know that God has dreams about your life? Each one of you. If I could call you all by name, I would. He has a vision. He has ideas about your life. He has dreams. He knows who he made and what you're capable of. And to what extent are you and I connected to how God sees us? And so as I said, we're going to now pick up the story in Judges chapter 6. And what's going on at this point in time is the Midianites, neighboring nation, have really oppressed them. And it's so bad that, and they hate, they hate Israel so much, here's what they're doing. They're coming in, when, when Israel plants crops, when they come to harvest, the Midianites come in, the armies come in, and they burn all the crops and destroy them. They don't steal them. They just don't want them to have the crops. And so they burn the crops, and the Israelites are largely ha uh, hiding in, in caves from the Midianites. And so now they're, they're not being killed, except they're dying a slow death. 
as they're starving to death. This is the current reality for them. And we're going to see in just a moment that God's going to intervene and he's going to rescue Israel, but he's going to do it through a man who's the most unlikely person you can imagine to do it. Because this man does not have dreams about himself. He sees himself in a very negative way. Uh, Before we jump in and pick up the story, I want to do two things. One, I want to receive our offering now, and then I want to take just a moment to pray uh, before we do that. So again, the offering on the screens, and if you're at home, or if you're watching this three weeks later, uh, this is how you can support the work of Kensington. We thank so many of you for giving generously and radically to the mission of Kensington, which is to see lives transformed in our community and around the world. So you can give through our website or through our app or even by texting that number there. And if you're here with us today, on your way out, we have some pails that you can drop a gift in. So again, thank you so much for embracing with us the mission that God has called us to. So would you just um, pray with me for a moment as we start? Lord, I, um, <clears throat> as I prepared this message, I just had a vision of, of transformation, even in this moment, in these next 30 minutes together, of men and women who aren't dreaming dreams right now. Maybe they, they're living a nightmare, but they certainly aren't feeling that abundant, full life that Jesus promised. And I think for many, what's holding us back is the limitations that we put on ourselves when we think about who we are and our identity. So I would just ask... Because I have no power, God. I know I have no power through my words to break through that, but I know your spirit does. And so I offer my words to you to use in our hearts to do some work in us today that would help us see the dreams that you have for us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So here's where we pick up the story. In um, Judges chapter 6, you can look at this chapter later. Uh, we're not going to go into all of it, but um, so again, Israel's in deep, deep trouble right now. They're starving to death. <clears throat> And then God intervenes. In verse 11, we're told, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Now, we've got to unpack a couple things there, and I want you to try to picture this, what's going on here. So what is threshing wheat? We don't, anybody thresh wheat recently? All right, probably none of you. <clears throat> so the way they used to do it back then, largely was they would have... Uh, an instrument that they would throw the wheat when it was re- ready for, you know, to be uh, turned into grain. They'd throw it up in the air and the grain would fall down. Gravity would take it down to the floor and the wind or the movement of threshing would throw the chaff and the husk away. And then when you got all done threshing, you'd have this nice depository of grain that you could turn into flour and you could make food. So that's what he's doing, <clears throat> this man named Gideon. But he's doing it in a wine press. You know what a wine press is? If you like wine, this is kind of gross. They don't do this. Well, actually, they do. They still do this. I saw a thing in Italy. They still do this. Wine press could be small or big, but it's some kind of structure with walls around it, and people would get inside the wine press, and they would step on the grapes. Think about that the next time you're enjoying a glass of wine, right? If someone trampled it down, of course, it ferments, and it's all safe, but, and then it would run out, and they would collect the wine. So Gideon is inside of a wine press, but he's not making wine. He's threshing wheat. Why is he doing this? We're told for fear of the Midianites. So he's hiding. He's doing this work, trying to get some food for himself and probably for his family by hiding from the Midianites in a wine press. So you got, you got the picture of this? Now, now, in my imagination, here's what I see. If he's doing this hiding, the last thing you want is an angel of the Lord to come near you and start talking to you. It's like, shh, go away. I'm, I'm hiding in here. You're going to draw attention, and they're going to come and kill me for doing this because we're not supposed to do this. But he shows up. Gideon has no say in it. He didn't invite him. God sends him. He sends this messenger to him. And now he talks to Gideon, and here's what he says. 
In verse 12, he says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you. And by the way, everything I want to say is are, are in these next words. This is the message today. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. You confused at all, like I am? Mighty warrior? What? The guy's hiding. Man, if you're a mighty warrior, you go, forget you Midianites. I'm out here threshing my weed. Come and, yeah, come on, bring it on. Right? That's a mighty warrior. Fearless. Maybe you got a sword hidden in your back pocket here. Right? So they're gonna, you're, just, you're not going to go into a wine press. No, this guy is living in fear of the Midianites. But God sends a messenger that says, you are a mighty warrior. And what that tells us right from the beginning is that God sees something in Gideon that Gideon does not see in himself. And so to translate that for us today, I want to say to you, I believe that it's likely for many of us that God's, God sees something in you far different than what you see in yourself. Now we're going to come back to this in just a moment, but let's continue the story. So Gideon responds to this mighty warrior salutation by saying this. He says, pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. So quite simply, Gideon says, you say the Lord is with us, but it doesn't feel like it, and it sure doesn't look like it. Why do you think I'm in a wine press threshing wheat? It feels way more like God has abandoned us. So he was, he was polite. He said, pardon me, Lord, but this is my perspective. So then the Lord responds. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have. Strength? You see strength there? Maybe a little bit because he's at least willing to take the risk, but he calls him strong. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? So here we have Gideon having this exchange, and one of the things that we're seeing right away, it's really the focus of our message today, is we see Gideon describing himself, and we're going to see more in just a moment, differently than how God sees him which I think is one of the most common human struggles. It certainly has been my struggle for most of my life. Gideon replies again. He's so polite. He says, pardon me, Lord, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? Now, remember the question I asked you to ask? How do you see yourself? What's your identity? Where is your value? Who are you? How do you think people see you? How do you think God sees you? Here's how Gideon sees himself. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, which is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. His clan is the weakest of that tribe, and I am the least in my family. This is how Gideon sees himself. So, mighty warrior, uh, you are going to save Israel? No way. You got the wrong guy. You got this whole narrative wrong. You don't know me, God. You don't, do you see, not see that I'm... I'm the least and I'm weak, and yet you're calling me to this? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. I'm not the man. You've got the wrong person. And so he corrects God. Anybody ever correct God? 
argue with God. I'm like a master of that. I was in debate team in high school, and I, I've debated with God all my life. God's saying you're a mighty warrior, MW, mighty warrior. He sees himself MW, major wimp. That's how he sees himself. Like the strength you're talking about, I don't see it. Warrior, I don't see it. Saving Israel, you've got to be kidding me. This is absolutely ridiculous. And so I think like all of us, and, and God finally responds to him again and says, the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. You will do this. What a gap between how Gideon saw himself and how God saw him. And that's what we're going to be talking about in our moments together today is what about that gap for me? What about that gap for you? And what will close that gap? Because I think like all of us, Gideon is living his life and operating out of a sense of who he was that as it turns out, was way off the mark. It was totally at odds with how God saw him. And that's a way to waste a life. That's a way to not have dreams ever fulfilled, is to believe lies about ourselves, to not really see how God sees us, and to be operating out of that sense of deficit. This, by the way, is a common theme in the Bible. Um, I could give more examples, but the, mo the, the most obvious one is Moses. So in the book of Exodus, the second book uh, in the Bible, uh, God calls Moses, who's been tending sheep for 40 years, to go back to Egypt now and to go to Pharaoh and say, you got to let Israel go. Let my people go. You can hear Charles Heston right now saying that, can't you? Ten Commandments. Let my people go. So when God calls Moses, you know what Moses does? You can check this out. He argues for several chapters with God. You got the wrong guy. I can't do this. It's not me. Me go to Pharaoh? And he gets real specific in his debate with God where he says, I'm not eloquent. I never have been. You want me to go speak to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on planet Earth at the time? You got the wrong person. See, just like Gideon, God saw something in Moses he didn't see in himself. And finally, um, when Moses will not relent from his argument with God, God says, well, I'm going to send Aaron with you, and Aaron can be the spokesperson. Which is really hilarious because when you look what actually happens, once Moses gets there, you can't shut him up. <laughs> He's talking. He's doing all the talking. But he didn't feel secure enough. He felt insecure. He felt unable. He felt not competent enough. His view of himself, his identity did not line up with how his creator saw him. The one who made him saw him. So again, I think this is common not only in the Bible, but I, it's in my life. It's in your life. It's in this room right now. It's alive. It's alive in many of you maybe all of you to some degree, that how you see yourself is a distortion of how your creator sees you. How did this happen? How do we find ourselves in this situation where we have all this negativity, we have all this self-doubt, we have all this recrimination, so that even if God were to say to you, you would say, no, God, you're wrong. Well, quite simply, this would be a whole other message or probably a whole other series, but let me just real quickly uh, point us to a couple things that happened right in the very beginning of the account in Scripture. Um, we're told in Genesis chapter 1 that God created mankind in his own image. In, in the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. I never noticed till this week, by the way, the redundancy that's there. He created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. He says it twice, maybe just to accentuate the fact that at the root of who you are, your identity is that you bear the likeness of God. Women and men, male and female, we both bear fully the image of God. We are God. God's likeness in human form. That's who we are. Why don't we feel that way? 
most of the time? Why all the negativity, the self-recrimination, the uncertainty, the insecurity, the self-doubt, even self-hatred sometimes? Where does that come from? Well, we just go two chapters later in Genesis, and we know that the uh, man and woman did the one thing God told them not to do, and that created a separation between, the t- between God and human beings. And this is how it's described in verse 8 of Genesis 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. There's a lot in those words. I think the human condition is to hide. Ever since that moment, it's to hide. It's to hide from ourselves. It's to hide from each other. It's to hide from God. And actually, I believe the whole book, Genesis Revelation, is a story of God pursuing us in our hiding to bring healing and wholeness and deliverance from that. And the main, th- the main word that I think captures what's going on here in us is the word shame. It's a powerful word. It's a controlling word. It's an awful experience to have shame. And yet I think shame dominates what we feel a lot. Fear of being exposed, of being found wanting, of being not enough, of not measuring up. And these messages, as I said, identity starts very early on, begin early and they're relentless. And they're reinforced again and again and it begins to actually dictate what we do and we don't do. And then we have more experiences that reinforce it. We end up with this distorted view of who we are and it doesn't line up with God. We become a Gideon hiding in a wine press or a Moses who's saying, I can't, I can't talk. I can't, I'm not eloquent. I can't do what you're asking me to do. And so the dreams that God may have for us are not realized because of the self-doubt and the identities that we have formed. So this is a message today about what do we do about our identity? How do we come to see ourselves differently as God sees us? And it's not an easy task because, I, you know, frankly, um, my own story aligns with this so much. This is why I was excited to teach this message. When I came out and I said, I'm excited to be here, I really am excited to be here because this story began to transform me a number of years ago and it's still a story important in my life. And here's why. I grew up um, in a family with five siblings and a dad who was hyper-competitive and hyper-critical. And we were high achievers. I don't know if I would put myself in that category, especially early on, but imagine going up in a family where you had valedictorians, because we did, and all-state athletes. And I'm neither of those. And so the messages that became very strong in my own mind, in my own life, was I'm a fraud. I'm a pretender. Someday I'm going to be found out. When I'm asked to do something, the first message inside my head I didn't speak out loud was I can't do that. I'm not able to do that. I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not fast enough. I'm not smart enough. I looked in the mirror. I didn't like who I saw physically all, for, for many, many years. I was very self-conscious about so much about my life. This was my identity. This is what I operated out of. Because we were a competitive and high-achieving family, I, I was pushed to strive and to achieve, yet I never rested in some sense of wonder and beauty that I'm made by God exactly the way he wanted me to be made. I was always insecure, and it was always not enough. I felt like an imposter. I felt like I was in a wine press threshing wheat, hiding. I felt like the first man and woman in Garden of Eden hiding in shame. 
And it's difficult to know all the reasons for this journey for me. I think my family played a big part, but you know what? It gets reinforced in school, in the neighborhood, right? It, the messages just come from everywhere. There are so many voices in our head telling us who we are. And it starts early, and it continues through life. It's relentless. I don't know uh, if, you think, if you've ever thought about this, but when, when children come into the world and they begin to color and play with Play-Doh and stack blocks and stuff, it's never a solitary experience. They're looking to see who's watching. I mean, they, if no one's watching, what do they say? Hey, Mom, look. Hey, Dad, look. And what they want you to do is to look at them and then go, Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you got the blocks that high. Oh, that, that picture, that, in, that coloring you did is so beautiful. And then they break into a smile, and it's telling them that there's value and that, that, that you're wonderful and that you're great. Um, I didn't get a lot of those messages. No, you colored outside the lines. Oh, you got, you got five A's and three B's, and you got a C minus. You know your brother got all A's. I mean, that... We're looking for affirmation. We're looking externally for people to tell us who we are. In fact, um, when, I, when I was in seminary a um, long time ago, it feels like a lifetime ago, I was in my early 20s, and um, I went there being, to be trained for ministry, and I was very, as I've already told you, very insecure about myself. i got to take Greek and Hebrew, and I know I'm going to fail this. What, what am I wasting my time for? I went all the way out to California. I'm going to fail and I'm working really hard at it, and part of min- training in seminaries, they train you to actually do ministry, so I had to find a church that I could serve in, and then at some point, I have to preach, my first message ever, and it was a little Baptist church, First Baptist Church of Whittier, and they gave me the Sunday night service, because there's no way they're going to take a risk putting me in front of a bunch of people on Sunday morning. I could bring the church down, so they, they had me teach Sunday night, and, and Sunday night, there was about... 50 or 60 people all over the age of 50 or 60 uh, that were there, and they came, and I worked really hard to get the message ready. I can still remember it was from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. I worked so hard on this message. I studied, 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 studied. Wrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it, rewrote it. And then the night before, on a Saturday night, I couldn't sleep. I was up all night. I was anxious all day Sunday. I would like to say that all that hard work and all that anxiety was because I cared deeply that God would use me to grow people in his kingdom. But when I got up and gave the message, and then a couple old ladies came down and said, Sonny, that was really nice, and left, and I stood there alone and went back to my apartment and sat on the couch, I realized that 100% of that was about me. Hardly a thought to whether God was going to use me or God would work through what I said, that he would grow his kingdom, that he would help people. It was, a, it was a stage for me to be on to get feedback that would tell me how great I was because I didn't feel great. And it was such a devastating, shocking thing to realize because I committed to this path that I was on now that I said, if this doesn't change, I'm going to be dangerous. That was an insight God gave me, I believe. Why? Because I'm going to get into ministry and I'm going to use people for me. I'm going to use people to get affirmation. I'm going to care more about what people think about me than what God thinks about me. That's going to make me a timid leader. I'm going to try to, I'm going to be, become political. I could see all of that. Even at age 22, I could see all of that. I, said, I remember saying to God, I'm in deep trouble. This cancer inside of me, this disease inside of me, you've got to do something about it. I don't know what to do about it. So the first thing I did is we had to write a thesis as part of our master's program. And I wrote my thesis on, here's the title, Biblical a biblical understanding of self-love and self-esteem. 
because I wanted to see what the Bible said about it. And so I, I wrote my thesis on that. And that began a journey of really trying to un understand this, unpack this. I hate to think that my ma other master's and PhD in counseling and psychology was so that I could get healed, but that was part of the motivation. Man, I needed to understand what was going on and how to get out of this. And then maybe I could help other people in it. And so more education, more research. And I want to share with you the maybe the most important thing I learned in all of that. And I really help, hope that it helps some of you today. Psychologists talk about um, something called a self-reflected appraisal. Uh, it's a fancy way to say that the way we think about ourselves and our identity formed is through a mirror. And the mirrors are people. So right now as I'm teaching, if I see someone lean back and fold their arms and start scowling at me, that's a mirror. And that mirror is telling me something about me. Not really, but that's what I think. And so it's feedback that I'm getting and it makes me feel a certain way. We do this all the time. This is how identity is largely formed. We, we become who we think people think we are. People think I'm too short. People think I'm too fat, too skinny. People think I'm not smart. People think I'm not a good athlete. People think, and most of the messages that we take deep are negative. And so we end up in our life dealing with an identity that is formed by an audience that's been around us. And some of the members of that audience, many of them are not really giving us good objective data. They're giving us feedback, but it's not right. And then we find ways over time to reinforce that. Any little failure, any little lack of perfection or whatever becomes part of who we are. It's how we think about ourselves. And so we find ourselves in a wine press in need of a God who will come to us and call us mighty warrior. There's a psychologist or a psychiatrist actually by the name of Dr. Kurt Thompson who wrote a book called The Soul of Shame. He unpacks what shame is, the cancer that shame is in the human race and in our hearts. It's just powerful. I would encourage you to consider the book. But this is what he said. He said, we come into the world looking for someone looking for us. And I, I wrote that, when I first heard that, I wrote that down. I thought about it again and again and again. You see it in children, right? As I just gave the illustration. They're looking for someone looking for us, for them. Do you ever have, you ever having a bad day and you want to be by yourself, but then you want someone to come and find you having a bad day and say, what's wrong? I mean, sometimes you just want to be alone, but I think we want someone to rescue us. We want someone to, to, to make some sacrifice or take some risk or do something to come to us. We are born, I think he's right, we're born into the world because of what we saw in Genesis, hiding but wanting someone looking for us. Adam and Eve, when they abandoned God, God came looking for them. When Moses, when, when Israel was in captivity in Egypt and they were crying out for help, God says, I got the answer. And he went looking for Moses to say, you're the guy. And Moses said, I'm not the guy. When the Midianites were harassing and hassling the Israelites, and they cried, they repented and they cried out for help. God says, I got the answer. And he went looking for Gideon. But in both those cases, when God shows up, they both said, not me. Because they had built a wall inside that says, this is who I am. And not even God can convince me otherwise. I think that's me. I think that's us. And if we're going to talk about living the dream, the dreams that God has for us, and, and it's so important to understand that the God who made you in his image, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made, dreams about you. 
in the dreams he wants you to embrace and realize in your life. All, they'll all look different, but every life should be extraordinary in some measure because God has put that in you. But he has a lot of work to do to overcome it because we have all these other voices that are telling us who we are, what we can do and what we can't do, whether we're smart or whether we're dumb, whether we're attractive or whether we're ugly, whether we're competent or incompetent, whether we're strong or whether we're weak. In my experience over 40-some years of ministry is that most of us land, if we're honest, in the weakness, in the least mindset. And the ones that appear to be strong are often just working hard to overcome their insecurities that they feel. They're always trying to prove. Like I began in my seminary experience to prove that I was competent. I didn't care whether God worked or not. I cared whether you liked me and affirmed what I was doing. And that's a prison. To live that way is to live in a prison. Could God really declare to you in these moments today a mighty warrior and you would believe it? Are you a mighty warrior? And I, you know, I feel like it's important for me to be honest with you to say, I began this journey um, 40 years ago of understanding this was a problem, and I haven't completely overcome it. It still shows up. Those voices do not die easily. I think every major shift in my life has been a Gideon moment, which is why I love this story. Because God has asked me to do things that only a mighty warrior could do, and I never felt like it. I never felt like it. In fact, even, even coming to Kensington uh, the first time, 20 years ago, 21 years ago, uh, I knew that a change was needed, and I saw a job posting for Kensington, and it was this growing church, this kind of crazy rock and roll church across town, and I was intimidated by it, but I, I applied to the, for the job. I got interviewed, and they, they said, yes, we'd like you to come, and I was going to start discipleship and spiritual formation programs at this growing church. They said, I said, when do I have to let you know? And they said, well, you can take till Friday. So my wife and I would pray about it. Um, most of my prayers were, honestly, I can't do this job. It's too big for me. I'm not competent enough. I won't fit in. And so Friday got closer and closer and finally came. And I got up in the morning. I went into my office. I had the phone number in front of me. And I think I shared this story at least once since, probably once since I've been here last October. So I'm sorry if I'm repeating it. But I, uh, I dialed the number, and it was ringing, and then I hung up before they could answer. That was at like 9 in the morning. I repeated that exact thing at 10.30, and at noon, I think six times, I dialed the number to say, I'll take the job, and fear overcame me. I saw myself in the wine press, hiding, and I hung up. It was probably fear of my wife that got me to finally, because <laughs> we'd agreed that I was going to take the job. So about five minutes to five, I, um, I let them answer the phone, and his name was Gary, Gary Foran, and I said, Gary, I'm sorry, it's taking me all day to call you. I didn't tell him why. <laughs> I said, I, I'd love to accept the position, and then he, he started yelling and screaming, like celebrating, which was so affirming, but I just want to tell you that story because... Um, you know, I was, I was not a 22-year-old anymore. I almost always feel, when, when God invited me to start the ministry in India that we have now, I felt way in over my head, incompetent. When God called us to go to New York City to start a church, every time I've been this Gideon or Moses. Some of you are, that's how you are. 
I know there's, this is a big enough group, and especially if I include all the people watching online, that some of you have, have mostly overcome this. I think I'm mostly there, but not entirely there. The insecurity, the fear, the doubt still comes. And so that's why I prayed at the beginning of the message, because these are strongholds in our life. And I'm looking at as many faces as I can see right now. And I want to tell you that you're beautiful. You're competent. You have abilities way more than you think. You are loved and valued simply because you're made in the image of God. And he has fearfully and wonderfully made you. He looks at you, and maybe there's a dream that's been percolating a little bit, but it feels overwhelming. And if it's God, I want, you, I want to tell you that you are, he is enough with you, and you are enough. This is what he's called you to do. And the dreams don't have to be big things. In fact, we're going to show you um, a video of a, someone that's part of our Kensington Church, not this campus, I don't think, but her name is Michaela. She's a young woman, but don't let her age, if, for those of you that are not young, and I'm not looking at anybody in particular, um, that it, the, the story is never done until it's done. You can be 70, 80, and 90 and have new dreams that God has given to you. And when he calls you to that, he, he sees you, women and men, as mighty warriors that are equal to the task. So let's take a moment to consider Michaela's story. So Michaela, thank you for being willing to share your story. First of all, let's talk about your kind of preteen, teenage years. So I didn't grow up in the church. That wasn't an aspect of my life, but I did grow up playing soccer. So I played since second grade up until junior year of high school. And after any game, my dad would just, you know, have that fatherly talk in the car and be like, oh, you should have done this. I wish you played more like so-and-so and like give me all this criticism to where it felt like I wasn't good enough for him and that I was just like disappointing him on the field all the time. And then on top of that, also, I have a younger brother and I just like grew up with the impression that my mom loved him more than me. So I just felt like I was like worthless to her and like unlovable to her. And as a 12, 14, 16-year-old yeah. going through that, that's a lot to carry. Yeah. In your time at Kensington, what anything happened there during those times? Or did you think of anything? Like, what was God to you at that time? So in high school, God wasn't <laughs> anything to me. <laughs> he was just, I just went for my friends, like solely for my friends, because it was fun. But it wasn't until college when I took a literature class and we read parts of Genesis so I heard Noah's Ark and Adam and Eve, like those stories for the first time, which is interesting because I was like 19, 20 years old, never heard of that, um, to where that sparked an interest. And I was like, maybe like people are onto something, but I don't know. So I like found myself back at Kensington to find answers to see if God was real. So then through Kensington, you see a friend who's part of the internship program. Mm -hmm. Yep. So explain that conversation and, and what happened. Uh, one of my friends was like, oh, I'm doing the internship at Kensington. And like, I didn't know anything about that. So I was like, oh, that sounds really cool. But I had one more year of college left. So I was like, oh, I can't do it this year. So I waited until I graduated college to do that. And yeah, did the internship in 2019. So you're in the internship program, which is a, just a fantastic program. Yes. So many great success stories with that. They take you to this event called Live Training. Yes. I got the memories of my dad and I in the car on the way home from soccer and like I was reminded of like oh yeah I did like grow up with this lie that like I am unlovable and unworthy 
Um, and then also just like the memories of like my mom and I and how I didn't feel really loved by her either growing up. So then after we share our stories with everyone in our group, um, it gives everyone else an opportunity to speak like life into you and like positive words into you. And uh, someone in my group spoke the word royalty over me. And I've never heard that like spoken over me before. So like that really stuck out. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? And she told me that, first of all, like I'm a daughter of the King, Jesus Christ. And that I don't have to work to earn anything. Everything's already given to me through his inheritance. And that's like the crown is already mine. So we had two Kensington ministries. We had the internship yes. and then this live training. Yeah. And then there's a third one. It's called our Move Out Network. Yep. And so God placed a dream mm -hmm. within you. Tell us about that dream and how that came to realization. So my goal or my mission that like I felt God placed on my heart at the time was to make sure that everyone I encounter um, knows that they are loved, knows that they are worthy, and knows that they are royalty and like daughters and sons of the king. So that was my like overall mission. And I just have a huge heart for kids. Um, I want them to never experience the pains I felt growing up of like not feeling loved or worthy. So I actually started my own move out team, Breakfast Buddies at our school partners, Rogers Elementary. Rogers gives free breakfast to all the students every morning. So I took a team of 1829ers, a young adult ministry at Kensington, to go there um, Tuesdays and Thursday mornings for literally 30 minutes. And we would just sit there and talk to the kids while they ate and like provided them an outlet to have someone just like really listen to them and like just see them and love on them for a little bit in the morning. So the internship is over. Yes. <laughs> and then you have to grow up and enter the real world, <laughs> which you have done. And now I am a toxicology lab tech, which is now I'm using my degree, which is fun. <laughs> um, and now I don't have the margin of going to Rogers in the morning because I work every day and early in the morning, so I don't have that time anymore. Um, but I'm still involved with live training, so I'm one of the guides now, which has been really fun and kind of like a full circle of my experience of someone speaking life into me, and now I get to like guide others and like speak life into them and praying that I had the same effect that someone had on me. We were in the series called Living the Dream, yes. looking at the life of Gideon. So I want to read a passage out of Judges okay. on the life of Gideon, and then I want you to respond how does that impact your life, or what do you think about your own life after hearing this story? Okay. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? And this is Gideon. Pardon me, my Lord, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Mm -hmm. And the Lord answered, I will be with you. How does that hit you? I feel like I'm the weakest in the clan. Um, just like not having that biblical background of going to church or anything. Like when I first started my faith, I was like, oh, I don't know enough. So I felt like I was less than in that. And then just my like childhood of growing up with my parents and like me going into the internship and like not really having the support of my parents. Again, I feel like I'm like the less of the clan and it's been really cool because like God has been with me through this whole journey and like I've grown and I've become a lot stronger with him and like that's really powerful that like God can do that alone.
So that's a journey that we can all be on. It doesn't matter, young or old. Uh, while our hearts are still beating and we still have breath in our lungs, that God has a dream and a vision for our lives. And like Gideon, he invites us to embrace our identity, our true identity as image bearers of God and to embrace the dreams that he has for us and to live it out. Next week, we're going to pick up the story and we're going to see how God actually uses Gideon to bring deliverance. But we're also going to see that the battle wasn't over for Gideon. He didn't quickly reach any place of perfection because these are lifelong journeys for us, the one that I'm still on and one that I hope you're on to discover more and more who God has made you to be. Um, if you would like to um, get some help with this, we have a couple great opportunities for you to consider. One is a live, uh, I'm sorry, it's a, a virtual event called Live Your Dream. It's on August uh, 16th, and we would encourage you to check that out. Just It's an investment of one hour that can maybe begin to unpack and unlock um, some of the realities about you and how to discover who God has made you to be. And the second one is a little bit more intensive. It's what Michaela described that she went through. It's something that we do regularly called, it's a six-week training called Live. And uh, you'll go even deeper into hearing from God and do it in a community of other people that are trying to look at this, um, their lives seriously and honestly and to discover who they are. Um, all of this is available. You can get more information at the Hub as you leave today or you can go to kensingtonchurch.org slash moveout. We really encourage you to consider taking that step. Um, the way we want to finish our service today is we want to enter into a time of worship and to understand in the end, as we heard over and over in this story, that he was calling Gideon to something great, but he was saying, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. Because God provides what we need when he calls us to do whatever it is he calls us to do. So we thought as we were preparing the service that this would be a perfect time to introduce this new song called Jaira. Uh, you may have heard it, but Jaira means provider more than enough. And a lot of times when we're searching for ourselves or for our identity and understanding what our purpose is, the truth of the matter is like we find our identity and our purpose in Jesus and who he is. And so he is the, we are a reflection of who he is, as he said in Genesis, that he created us in his own image. And so I love this song because it just talks about how there's a lot of times where we don't think that we're enough, but we understand that we can have enough through Jesus. So I hope that you guys are able to relate to this song and worship with us. Nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. Going through a storm, but I won't go.
You know what you guys are? You guys are mighty warriors who have led us to God just now. And those of you clapping right now, and the riser back there and the riser back here, you guys are mighty warriors. I want to speak this over all of you. You are mighty warriors. This is who God has made you to be. He's given you the promise that he gave to Gideon. I am with you. If he's with you, what else do you need except to believe in the dreams that he's given to you and, and to begin to take the courageous steps to walk them out? Don't make the phone call and keep hanging up. Make the phone call, okay? Whatever it is God's put in your heart, step into it, pursue it, live out the dream that God has given to you. We will change the world if we can do this. So uh, a couple things. One is we have uh, Tracy and Jeff in the auditorium who will be down front to pray. If you want someone to pray that maybe God would just release the bondage that you're in, if you want to just have a conversation about how you can know God more, they're here to talk with you. And then I just want to invite you again to the midweek service that's going to be at Troy this week for baptisms. It would be great for us all to come out from Clinton Township to support the men and women from our campus that are being baptized and all the others and a chance to see people you never see because they're in Troy, Orion, Birmingham, and Clarkston, all to come together under the name of Jesus to celebrate life change. So hope to see you Wednesday. If not, we'll see you back here next Sunday. God bless. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.